Yeah, basically, when I stopped trying and I just looked at what are the fun things that I like to do, it was much, it was a more natural discovery of what I actually wanted to do in life. Hey there, welcome to Path to Purpose. I'm your host, Jackson. Join me as I interview inspiring individuals to hear how they discovered their purpose and found the courage to pursue it. Today's guest is Daryl Annunciato, the founder and CEO of Action Drone Inc., a California-based drone company. Before that, Daryl had spent many years in financial services, waste management, and property management. However, his strong sense of curiosity and exploration eventually led him back to his passion for aviation. I hope you'll find his journey as awesome as I do. I grew up in Philippines, grew up in a small island called Bohol. And uh, basically, it's like the type of island where everyone kind of knows each other. Uh, I went to a private school, um, really hard private school. We actually uh, would start from 7 a.m. and we won't end until 5 and we had to learn like two different languages. And so it was really hard um, growing up like that. And we had to learn uh, Chinese from three to five. You you could only speak Chinese. And then from between noon to three, uh, you can only speak uh, Filipino language, uh, different kinds of Filipino languages. So it it was hard, you know, as a kid, it kind of kills the joy of, you know, not having time to play. So that was was my upbringing until we moved to um, New York. And I was uh, nine years old. Um, and, and basically from there on, it was much different culture and I had to kind of relearn how to make friends. Um, thankfully English was part of our other language that we had to learn. So it wasn't hard for me to make friends right away and kind of blend into the culture. Uh, but then that's kind of where my childhood started, you know, being able to play outside, have enough time to actually do things for fun. Um, when I was a kid, I was... I guess you could say rambunctious and it was hard for me to really learn stuff. I don't know if I, you know, back then there's no ADHD or whatever. Right. So I don't know if I had a learning disorder, but I had a hard time in school. Um, I have a hard time learning. And so I always just kind of was really mischievous, but I was really into um, playing stuff, games, video games and all that stuff. So that's basically what, I kind of remembered as a kid, just playing a lot of basketball, playing a lot of video games, um, hanging out with my friends until, uh, you know, high school when we moved to California where I'm at now. And, and basically uh, I had to get a little bit more serious because, you know, that's when your parents are like, you need to go to college, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. When you got to um, middle school and high school, as you began to maybe understand yourself a little bit more, did you begin to have an idea of what you wanted to do in life? Did your interests become really clear or did you have an idea of a career? Tell me about that. Yeah, I was, I was absolutely clueless. Um, I just know that when I was a kid, I actually really enjoyed um, aviation. I used to run to the airport back in the Philippines. Um, I'd run to the airport and actually know exactly when that airplane's going to land. So there's about three airplanes that land a day. And I would just watch it land and take off. Uh, that was always been something that I really enjoyed. And my uncle was a pilot for Philippine Airlines. Um, and then he became a chief pilot for Japan Airlines. And I always looked up to him. 
but you know when you go to high school here in the u.s you start thinking it's like hey how do you do that and then you start realizing how expensive it is and how difficult it is to be a pilot and so you know when we moved to the u.s we absolutely had no money so we became broke um so we struggled a little bit and i knew i just had to kind of finish college and find a way to make money i tried everything to become a pilot i joined the uh air force rotc for at san Diego state university try to get my pilot's license or my pilot's wings um that didn't happen because i have uh, permanent stigmatism uh, on my left eye so uh, they assigned me another job, so I basically just didn't sign my commission and didn't become an officer. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a struggle trying to figure out what I wanted to do. It was really difficult. Before you started college, then while you were still in high school, at that point, did your parents or other family members influence you at all in kind of what their expectations for you were in what you should study, or did they not really comment? I don't know what happened, but at some point, like my dad became very supportive of uh, and my mom, what we wanted to do, right? They didn't want to force us to do anything. Um, so in high school, he just said, you know, uh, figure out what you like to do. Uh, figure out what makes it fun for you, what makes you click, you know? But I couldn't figure that out in high school. But he just kept saying that uh, where you don't have to go to college if you don't want to. You can do whatever you want. That's pretty awesome. It sounds like you had a really supportive uh, family. So that, that's great. Yeah. So then when you got to college, what did you end up studying? So uh, I didn't want to go to college because I didn't know what to do. And I felt mm-hmm. like I was just going to end up wasting time and right. money. And so, but, you know, a bunch of my high school friends are like, yeah, just go with us. And so they put my application in for me and they picked the aerospace engineering degree. Or, or uh, for my major. And I'm like, okay, I guess, because they knew I loved aviation. So they, they thought that if, I, if they picked that for me, I would enjoy it, but I absolutely hated it. So your buddies signed you up for college and picked your major for you? Yeah. Wow. I know. That's, that's incredible. Um, did you end up going through with the aerospace engineering major? I did for two years. Uh-huh. Um, but it was getting to that point where I hated it so much that I would just fall asleep in class and not even really, you know, study. And so if I kept going that route, I would have flunked out of college. So then after, after those two years, did you drop out of college? Did you change your majors? What happened? My first year, I, my GPA was 0.15. I didn't even know that was possible. So I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. So um, the only, so the counselor basically said you need to get straight A's for the next like four semesters, or you will basically flunk out. You're basically in probation after that. And so um, there was a bunch of undergrad classes that I actually enjoyed, um, which was psychology, philosophy, all these like random classes I had to take, and I ended up really enjoying psychology. And so the one thing that really stood out was um, industrial organization, which is business psych, really. Mm. And so I ended up changing my major to psychology. And lo and behold, I enjoyed it so much. I actually got straight A's for the next you know, four semesters and got out of the uh, probation period and uh, stuck with psychology and graduated with it. Um, so then after graduation, 
did you go into something that was psychology related or was it something else? Basically, you know, at some point in college, I had, you know, student loans and, you know, then I had a car debt and all that stuff. So, and I didn't like the fact that I was living paycheck to paycheck. So after graduating college, I wanted to work for, um, like, you know, find a job that really does pay enough or pay well so that I don't have to worry about money. And so my focus was driving myself towards financial freedom. And uh, I ended up, you know, thinking about it. It was like, well, you know, the closest thing to money is in banks. And so let me start applying for jobs in the financial um, industry. And that's when I started uh, getting into uh, finance and banking. And the first job I had was basically doing credit repair for uh, Wells Fargo Financials. So that's that was my job for I was doing finance stuff for pretty much for up to eight years and um, had nothing to do with psychology at all. Or aerospace engineering. Or aerospace <laughs> engineering. So it sounds like you were able to explore different aspects of banking. Is that right? Yes. So I did, uh, I did credit repair and then I did, uh, then I did loans and then I did um, wholesale lending. And then I started managing 40 different brokers for lending. And so it went up and up and up. Um, the pay was pretty good for, you know, someone who's like 24 to 28 years old. Um, so I enjoyed it. But at, at some point I remember when I was, before I got engaged, um, I started realizing is like, well, you know, the money I make, I ended up spending. And so it's getting to the point where it feels like no matter how much money you make, I still feel like I was broke. That's interesting you say that because I, I do think there's a misconception that, you know, if you're making a lot of money, you must be worry-free, all good. But actually, <laughs> there's a, society does a weird thing where it tricks us into being on this rat race. Like you said, where the more you earn, and the more you spend. And for a lot of people who earn good money, you know, they can still be living paycheck to paycheck, which is a little bit counterintuitive, but it happens. It does. And I think it, it has something to do with financial maturity. You know, you have to mm-hmm. um, kind of grow up and not say that, you know, uh, just because I make money, I'm going to buy this, you know, really expensive car. After graduation, you were looking for something that would kind of earn you the big buck. And... Mm a career in banking seemed to do that. Did it fulfill your requirements for what you were looking for in a job? Or did you feel like something was missing throughout those years? I really hated it. I could actually say that. Um, Wow. It was, you know, that feeling where it's, you know, it's Monday and it's just like, oh, it's so like painful to get out of bed. Yeah knowing that you're going to have to go through uh, Monday through Friday of the same stuff that you don't want to do in the beginning, it was really, you know, fun because, you know, you feel like you're a big boy. Now you're in the big (laughs) leagues, um, wearing suits and stuff like that. Uh, but it gets old really fast and, you know, the same paycheck gets old really fast and, but the problems just get bigger and bigger. Uh, so I, it never, really I never really enjoyed it because it's getting it was getting to a point where I wasn't really helping people I was helping myself uh, I was doing things so that I could make more money in my bonuses instead of like really determining if the person is qualified for that loan I was like hey let me pass this through 
because then it'll take me to the next round of bonuses. Mm. Um, and then that guilt sets in and you just feel like, you know, I don't know, like it's something eats you up inside. So it was, it was tough for me. Before we get to your career pivot, I want to back up a little bit and ask you at what point in your finance related career, did you begin to realize that, Hey, maybe this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. It was, I think it was like year six, really, when I really wanted to get out. And there was a a loan that I passed through a year and a half ago or two years ago uh, before that. And then um, basically I found out later that that couple ended up uh, getting a divorce because of their financial difficulties of what the loan actually did for them. And so... Um, and then they just had a baby when they they were planning a divorce. And the divorce was about not being able to pay their mortgage. And I knew they weren't going to be able to pay their mortgage, but yet I let that loan pass through. And so at that point, I was, first I tried to blame the yeah. loan officer that, you know, submitted that loan to me. But then I realized, you know, it was my job to protect those lenders. That was my job, you know, because... Right it's the loan officer's job to, to make money or, you know, get the loans and stuff like that. But I didn't do my job properly. And I felt like I kind of ruined that family's life. And it wasn't just them. And, and I'm pretty yeah. sure there's a bunch of them later on. I mean, as you can see, the recession was so bad. Uh, the housing recession was so bad. Majority of that lies under the people that were running the loans. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of was the time when I saw that in front of me. And I knew I had to quit and this wasn't, it wasn't my life. Was leaving your job a decision that you made yourself or did you have to do any convincing of family or, or your wife or anybody else? No, I, I literally, um, when we had our meeting in the banking industry and one of the last meetings before I actually uh, quit, uh, basically was in this you know meeting of executives and you could see one of the executives were cracked out and just smoking. So, I mean, I don't know what they were on, but they were talking about, you know, how so many loans are defaulting, things like that. And we were just like, whoa, this yeah. is, this is about to happen. Um, basically that day, that last meeting, um, my friends and I, that were, you know, both a bunch of uh, executives in the bank, we just all decided to like, some of us quit that day. And so um, that was it. We, we gave our resignation and I came home and, you know, um, basically told my roommates, I am broke and I might have to leave this apartment. <laughs> so, oh, man. yeah, it was, it was, it was just the, like that. And then it was really tough because my wedding was like, you know, three months later. Gosh. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was like the weirdest thing that I did, man. Um, yeah, so, no, so this was back in 2007, right? Yeah, 2007. Okay. Yeah. So then when you quit your job, what was going through your mind as to your plan for the future? Did you have one in mind or was it, was it not formed? No plans. I literally was clueless. I was back to zero. Like I felt like um, I was lost and I needed guidance. So um so for a while, I, thankfully, the, the banking job that I had uh, made me so much money that I was smart enough not to spend it on 
on things. And so mm -hmm. I had savings. I was able to um, figure out, I had, it gave me time to figure out what I wanted to do. So yeah, I really had no plans at all. And how long did that period go on for? I guess just exploring or trying different things. There was two years where I really just didn't have a job. I wanted to go uh, pro in video games. And so I trained uh, eight, eight hours a day in Street Fighter. <laughs> Whoa. And I actually went to tournaments. So that's what I did for two years, man. <laughs> Trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And um, I trained a Street Fighter for two years, became one of the best players in San Diego, and went to actually Vegas for competition. That's crazy. And that didn't end up turning into a career? No, because even if you win tournaments, it wasn't enough to pay your bills. Um, ah. That's why the back in the days, you know, being a pro gamer wasn't lucrative, um, no, matter, no matter what you tried, because there wasn't enough audience. After the whole, all my savings dried up, I had to figure something out. And the only way I could do that was um, looking for a job that was easy and fun to do. So you spend about two years kind of trying to become a pro gamer. Um, and you said at the end of those two, two years, you thought you should get go back to getting a job. What was that right. job that you got? So um, the first job that I got um, was basically I interned for waste management. And I got really lucky with this job. They gave me a two-year contract where I helped them develop this new business that they acquired and it was a storage business and my job was to do um, business development and marketing and I actually got really good at it mm -hmm. and so I brought online marketing to the storage industry or for the mobile storage business for waste management and it ended up where I finished filling up the warehouse in the west coast in less than six months and so I didn't have anything to do I just got paid um, so for for two more years with that contract, I had the freedom to not do work, uh, but yet, you know, still get paid. And I continued to explore, trying to figure out what I wanted to do at that point. Um, that, so that was my kind of job that I got after uh, the banking industry. And then two years down the line when the contract ended. Um, Wait, I, before, before we continue, Daryl. Yeah. So the contract was, was for two years, but you managed to get the work done in six months, but they continued yeah. to pay you for that whole contract duration? Yes. Basically, it was so easy because it was the first time um, an industry was uh, using online automated sales. I ended up uh, filling up the whole warehouse so fast that they couldn't figure out what to do with me. So, But I had a contract for two years, so they just kept paying me. You were, you were killing it at this job and you had all this free time and they were paying you and you were you had leveraged this uh, you know online auto sales platform that others weren't really looking at did you feel like this was a fulfilling career or did you still feel like you wanted something else it was it was uh, it was too easy mm -hmm. um, i would wake up check on the website make sure that all ads are up and then i didn't have anything else to do Tell me about property management, because you got into that at some point, right? When the contract ended, um, you know, the paycheck, the free money stopped coming in. So um, I had to look for a, a job. And thankfully, at that point, when the contract ends, it's 
uh, I believe it was considered unemployment. So I had some sort of funding from unemployment um, while I, I looked for a job. So it gave me time to figure out like what kind of job is the next thing for me because that was such an offshoot job with waste management that there was no way I could find anything similar to that. Um, so I said to myself, I really enjoyed the fact that I had a lot of time in my hands when I was with waste management. And I liked the fact that I, I worked so close because I, I was working from home um, where, where I didn't have to commute so far. And so I literally went downstairs from my apartment community uh, where I was staying at and asked for a job application. And that's kind of like how I got into property management. So for listeners who aren't familiar with property management, can you just explain what that is and what the day-to-day looked like? So uh, basically, um, I was working in a apartment community where there was 740 units uh, of apartments. And as a, uh, a property management person, you actually just sit in the office, you wait for people to go in and ask for uh, a tour. And you take them and show them around for open and vacant apartments. And then if they lease, you do all the paperwork for them and then that's it, you help them move in. And uh, you answer, you take phone calls and um, basically, you know, you, you take care of the residents that are living in your area if they have any issues. It sounds like that job gave you a lot of free time. It did. Thankfully, they put me, I was in a uh, company where they put me in, in a lot of positions where I could do a lot of improvements. Uh, it was a growing company. And basically, I asked them if we can start doing online marketing. Same technique that I did for waste management. Yeah. I did that. And they put me in a new property that was still under construction. And so I did the same strategy um, and basically filled it up. They, they had a one-year or eight-month, nine-month uh, timeline to fill up this whole unit complex that's brand new. But we did it in less than four months before it even opened. Um, and everything we did was online marketing and it really helped. Um, and that's what made it super easy and gave me a lot of freedom because I would go to work at nine. It would basically, I would finish by six. And then usually after that, you don't take home work. You're, everything is just, uh, you know, your time. And at that point, I stopped giving, I gave up on forcefully looking for things that I wanted to do or yeah. things that I can do. And I just said, you know what? I think this is my life. This is where it is now. Like I will probably grow into property management and this is where I'm going to end up doing, where I'm going to start managing bigger properties and doing developments of new construction, blah, blah, blah. I, I really was convinced. So at that point I gave up on trying to do something big. Daryl was doing well as a property manager. His commute was just going downstairs, and his knowledge of online sales technology was helping him excel at his job. But just as he thought that this was how he would spend the rest of his life, drones entered the picture. Keep listening to find out how. You spend the next three or so years in property management and you had a lot of free time. Did you begin mm-hmm. to explore any other hobbies? 
Yeah, so that's at some point it was getting repetitive, the stuff that I did for property management. Um, so I told my wife, I, I need a hobby. But before I even got in, I get into that, uh, <clears throat> what ended up happening after on the third year, I got into CrossFit and I was taking these supplements, <clears throat> not knowing that it was actually, you know, you had to be careful. You had to drink a lot of water when you take these supplements. And it actually caused me to get uh, pulmonary embolism. <clears throat> so I almost died. Wow. Um, yeah, so that um, near-death experience helped me understand that, you know, it's like, holy cow, I could have died. And um, and what did I end up doing was, you know, realizing that I need to have a little bit more fun in my life. And uh, finally, when I got back to work, um, it was starting to become routine again. And I asked my wife, hey, um, you know, I want, I want a hobby, something that I can enjoy um, doing after work instead of just work, come home, play video games or, or watch TV. And so she, she basically said, so what, do you, what, what kind of hobby are you thinking about? I was like, well, I want to play the piano. Um, because that's when I got into like listening to Michael Bublé stuff. So <laughs> I, I was like, I want to play the piano just like this so I could play the piano at like, you know, bars and stuff. Or if not, then buy me like, you know, this RC airplane. And she looked at the price tag between the ones that I wanted. And she basically picked the RC airplane because it was like $250 <laughs> versus the piano that I wanted was like $3,000. So Makes sense. Um, I got into the RC hobby uh, while I was in property management. And and then I real quickly realized this is when we, you know, I just bought a GoPro one and because this is when we would um, do a lot of traveling with friends and I use GoPros to actually record our, our, our travels. Right. And I was like, Hey, I could put this GoPro on this RC airplane. And, and basically that's when I got really into RC stuff because I was able to record uh, something in the air. And then I even used it for property management. We used the uh, GoPro video that I created from the airplane to market our brand new property next door which we were building. And so that was my first kind of taste of what RC plus a camera can do, which is now what's called a drone. <laughs> and so um, from, from that point, it was, it, I, I kept doing that, not knowing that I figured something out. Um, and so I just kept playing with it for like another year. That's incredible that you were able to like pick up this hobby and then still tie it back to the career that you were still in, which is property management. And it seems like a throwback to your childhood interest as well, because as a kid, you were into planes, right? Yeah, I was into aviation, anything that flew. I, when I was a kid, that was the fit, my favorite pastime was, you know, making my own kite and flying it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it does go back to that. So throughout all those years in, in the corporate world, you still maintained that childhood interest in aviation. Was that why, is that how you picked between yeah. like piano and, and, uh, and RC? RC? Yeah. 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 Basically when I stopped trying yeah, and I just looked at what are the fun things that I like to do. Um, I guess you could say that's when it was like a discovery moment. It was much, it was a more natural discoverer, discovery of what I actually wanted to do in life. Um, so at that point, not knowing that I was going to start a business, I was so proud of the videos that I posted 
that I would just post it on Facebook and, and YouTube. Um, and I didn't even know I was really marketing a new business until people started pointing out, it's like, Hey, can, can you make me one? Can I, can I buy that from you? And, and, or I'll, I'll get criticized by the videos. The first video was like very, uh, very shaky. So uh-huh. they would be like, Hey, it's giving me a headache. Um, can you fix it? And so at that point, you know, I was starting to make the, uh, drone or whatever it was called back then, um, better and better to a point where I, I was able to take a professional video from one of the aircraft prototype that I built and it caught the eye of a professor in Brazil. He, he was an archeologist and basically said, Hey, I can buy two of those, um, for my dig sites to, to actually map out our dig site and make sure that we're our progress can be submitted to the funding group that's funding our, our work. And, and he bought two of my drones and that's how the business started. And just to be clear back then, I think this was 2013 or 2014, right? Uh, yes. 2013. At that point, drones were not a thing, right? No, it wasn't. In the beginning, I was just like, yeah, it's a helicopter with a GoPro <laughs> <laughs> or it's an airplane with a GoPro, you know? So <laughs> that's what it was. Okay. And so would you say the, the, con- the professor from Brazil reaching out to you, was that kind of your first big break? Yeah, it was the aha moment. Um, because when he actually sent the money, yeah, I didn't have a business license. And so uh, I was like, holy cow, this is illegal. So <laughs> uh, we went to go get a business license August 13th, uh, yeah. 2013. Um, and that was it. Uh, that was the, it wasn't, I wouldn't say the big break, but it was kind of like the start of something that we didn't know we were starting. Um, yeah. and then a- after the sale of that, um, the two drones, there was three more at the same week that asked for that same exact drone to be built. So I ended up was, I was getting scared because I didn't have the funding to buy the materials to to you know, build the prototypes, so I took out a American Express credit card, yeah, and uh, used three thousand dollar, maxed it out, and basically bought materials, um, you know, carbon fiber plates, things like that, and I basically ended up building uh, the prototypes, or I would say the drones to sell from the three thousand dollar credit card I I opened, and this was just all garage operations. Yeah, actually in this room where I'm interviewing now. But I don't work here anymore. This is just, you know, now my game room and my office. Um, it's a, there's a museum piece uh, here for the first prototypes that I built. But right. yeah, I mean, it was here in, in this room. So throughout those first few sales, I mean, you were still in property management, right? You had a full-time job. So what was it like managing a job and also doing the side hustle with more and more folks reaching out to you. It was fulfilling. That's when I could actually say that uh, it was really gratifying that I was building something that I truly enjoyed building. Uh, but it was also very, very difficult because I could not just leave the job that supported our our livelihood, you know, our lifestyle. And so I was working from nine to six. Um, and at lunch, I would basically just step out of the office and then answer emails and, um, return phone calls, uh, regarding 
any drone customers that are requesting for stuff and it got really busy so basically my lunch would become a sandwich and just you know answering emails and phone calls and then i would get home at yeah. six and then basically my wife would prepare a, a rice a rice bowl or whatever meat i i like and i would just basically drink that or eat that real mm -hmm. fast and then straight to uh, my office here now and then basically start building drones until 3 to 4 a.m um and that's basically what i did every day for a whole year and then on the weekends i would have piles of drones that i built over the weekday and then we would do flight testing on the weekends um, because that's the only time i have a daylight to go out and flight test and i would use parks around my community to flight test and it got really dangerous because at some point uh, i had uh, a mexican mafia actually come up to me and asked me to build drones for them um, oh man yeah so it, it got really shady at some point um but that was my life for a whole year uh doing all that stuff now were you working so hard on the drones because you had a vision for turning it into a fault like turning it into your business and replacing your need to be a property manager or did you do it just because you liked it I did it because I liked it. I wasn't actually, I didn't know I was going to end up quitting. Um, I ended up quitting because it got so busy. I was working so much because of the orders were coming in. It was piling in. It got to a point where we had people selling our drones in Australia and pretty much all over the world. Um, and so our resellers were running out of our stock. So I was building them as fast as I can and selling them out as fast as I can. And so um, it got to the point where I, I had to recruit, you know, my older brother yeah. as the finance guy, cause he has, he's, he's a finance dude. And so he agreed to be the CFO of the company. And then a year later he said, you can't do this, man. You look like a zombie. And so <laughs> it's like, just quit your job. And then um, we'll find a way to get you a salary uh so that it compensates for the loss of your salary at the property management uh, company and so that's what ended up happening he uh, basically told me to quit and i quit that job <clears throat> wow and then what was your what would you say was your big break for your drone company after mm. you know all that time work hustling by yourself outside of your your job what, what was your big break the Navy basically found us through Facebook and um, they messaged me through Messenger and they basically said, hey, Daryl, can we come and visit you guys? And this was before I even had an office. I was still building in my room. And so I was like, well, um, I guess, I mean, if you want to come to my house. Uh, so <laughs> they were like, oh, OK. Uh, but then luckily, um, a month later, uh, this is when I almost burnt down the house, uh, the carpet and the walls going up in flames. So my brother was like, you need to get out of there. <laughs> you need to, I mean, I know you're trying to save money and, you know, not spend money on, on overhead, but it's dangerous to your, you and your family having you right. know, the, the house burning down. So uh, we ended up renting a uh, industrial uh, a kind of like a business location but it didn't have AC or heat. And so it was cold or it was really hot. And that's when also the Navy said, hey, can we come and take a look at your stuff now? And that was the big break 
the Navy came and basically said, hey, we want drones from you guys. As soon as the Navy actually writes that contract, it opens up the door to a lot of things because then you can say, it's like, yeah, we've worked with the Navy. And then after that, the uh, industrial groups like energy industry started knocking on our door at the same time the Navy did. And so the prototypes that we built for the Navy, we worked for the power line companies. And so it started snowballing from there where um, industries started asking us to build drones for them. And um, I felt like that's when it became really serious. How would you describe your drone company now and what is it called? Uh, the company is called Action Drone Inc. Um, people don't know this, but they always wonder why it's called Action. And it's because it started with action cameras. Um, yeah, so they were like, why is it action? Well, because GoPros were action cameras, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And AD is, Action Drone is really, um, the, really, it's a company that is uh, not just for us. We actually try to make it so that we open up the industry, the drone industry, for people that don't have the ability to have, you know, a good paying job because they can't find a good um, funding for their education. So we're trying to make, we're trying to simplify our company or our, our technology so that anyone from anywhere around the world can use that technology to create a opportunity for them. And that's really the main goal of Action Drone. And would you say now that as CEO and founder of uh, Action Drone, that you feel fulfilled and excited about work more so than you did, let's say, you know, back in banking or property yeah. management? Yeah, I know it's a, such a cliche to say it, but, you know, it's like I, uh, um, I really enjoy every day. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not stress-free environment. It's very stressful. We're, yeah. you know, we're building, you know, $90,000 drones. And then when it, when it crashes, it, <laughs> it's painful. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. So, but it's still at this point where, you know, some of the stuff that I get to do, I, I can't even imagine I'm doing this stuff. Um, unfortunately, I can't really describe to you some of the cool things that we're doing because of military stuff. But it's really one of those like, dude, I can't believe this is what I actually do. <laughs> you know, it's really fun. That's amazing. So a lot of listeners out there, they're probably, they're probably feeling now what you felt back in banking. Like, Maybe they're making good money. Maybe it's a stable job, but they're yearning for something more and they want to pivot to something else, but they just don't know what and they don't know yeah. how to do it. Looking back on your past um, decade or two, what lessons have you learned um, that you would that you would want to share with a young person right now who's trying to figure out their purpose in life? Well, I, I think there's a what I've seen a lot so far in, in, in the younger generation is that they think their purpose in life also coincides with making money, right? Um, that's not always the truth. I always say, you know, try to find your purpose by figuring out like how you can help humanity first um, instead of figuring out how to help yourself first, right? So uh, the drone, I became part of the uh, drone industry and I got lucky because I ended up creating something accidental that would actually help the human industry or the human race. And really what the drone industry is about was uh, it's a technology that can amplify our ability to help 
our businesses or our environment or our agriculture, things like that. And it, I didn't really see that, you know, because if you were, I've seen other drone companies where they started a drone company to make money, to make, you know, their goal was to be rich. And it turned out to be a wrong path for them because it wasn't really, their passion was to make money. So what I would always say to the next generation, the younger generation, don't, don't chase the money. Um, chase something that you figure out that you actually love to do. And hopefully that's something you love to do also ends up, you know, helping humankind. And if that ends up happening, you end up starting a business accidentally, really. And so um, people that chase uh, going after, uh, you know, lucrative funding or lucrative uh, finance, it, uh, I, they end up having a hard time in life, in my opinion. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you did pursue a great career in, in finance and banking, and it did earn money, right? But yeah. like you said, it, you couldn't do it for the rest of your life. Right. And I also love the part of your story where you said at some point you stopped intentionally trying to find happiness or fulfillment or purpose, and you just let your natural curiosity and interests guide you. Yeah. And that's what reminded you, hey, as a kid, I loved planes. Let me get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like, like, like I said, you know, it was, it was at some point when I tried to stop, um, trying to stop being rich was the, I guess mm. the blunt way to say it, you know, it's like uh, chasing that, that being rich status uh, really helped me discover what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. and, and even at this point, you know, it's like, I don't, I constantly try to remind myself, you know, um, you, you didn't start this company to become rich. And so even my paycheck to myself is equal to, or close to, uh, a lot of my employees, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't overpay myself. Now looking back, do you regret your time in banking or in property management, or do you feel like it's all part of this journey for you somehow? Um, I don't regret anything. Uh, it's definitely, it's something that I actually appreciate because it formed who I am. You know, it helped me shape my ideology and what I'm about. So um, those are times that I actually look and use, I reflect those times to actually figure out like, hey, you know, be grounded. You were there before and um, don't do it again. <laughs> you know, so if I didn't have that history, um, I'd probably make that same uh, mistakes that I've done before. You know, I mean, uh, you, only, you only get better at because of your failures. So I don't regret it. Daryl, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, if listeners want to find out more about you or your company, how, how can they do so? The easiest way is LinkedIn. Um, just look Action Drone Up uh, or myself, Daryl Anunciado. Uh, and that's really the best way to reach out to me. Remember how Daryl was supposed to be an aerospace engineering major? Funny how he ended up coming full circle to where he had started. In fact, all the way back to his childhood in the Philippines, where he would watch the takeoffs and landings. His story shows that even if you switch jobs or careers many times, 
None of that time is a waste because when you do finally find your purpose, all of those experiences will have shaped you and prepared you for that next chapter. And lastly, life is short and unpredictable. You don't have to wait until a health scare to remember the things that you love doing. For Daryl, it was when he stopped chasing purpose that he truly opened himself up to finding it. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review. It helps me reach more listeners looking for inspiration. I would also love to hear what your takeaways were from this story and feature them in a future episode. To do that, or to leave questions or suggestions, you can email me at pathtopurposepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, it's a tongue twister. Catch you on the next episode.